Welcome to Love Yourself Back to Life. I am your host, Nadia Fleury, and this is episode number three, How Does Drifting Lead to Lack of Self-Confidence? You dream of living a successful life, yet you feel emotionally empty. You know something is missing, but you don't know what it is. What if the answer was already within your reach? With each podcast, I will help you see life through new lenses, shining the spotlight on your inner world, eliciting awareness and insight. My mission is to release what's blocking the flow of your success, to awaken your full potential and to love yourself back to life. The other day, a friend of mine asked me why I insist so much on talking about inner child, self-worth and self-confidence when I'm actually a skincare manufacturer. Well, I think it's time that I share my deeper message. Let me explain. The primary reason why I got into skincare was that I couldn't find the right product for me. I was dealing with oily, sensitive skin and the product on the market irritated my skin. So I just thought, well, why don't I make what I want? I was a chemist, I could do it. I had access to ingredients. It would allow me to freely manufacture what I wanted for myself. Well, to manufacture is one thing and promoting it is another. And that is where I got stuck. That's what forced me to look inwards as to what was going on with me. You see, my oily skin was a reflection of me, what I saw in the mirror. I did not like what I saw and I sought to fix it. What I didn't take into consideration was what was going on inside me. And that was where the true work was needed. I never thought of looking at myself from that perspective, though. Anything in life, if you keep repeating it over and over, regardless if it's true or not, there will come a time that you will start believing your own story. Whether it's based on fact or not, it's irrelevant. If you're saying it long enough, you will start believing it's true. And there's a lot of that that was going on in my life. And over time, it started eroding my self-worth and my self-confidence. To explain clearly what took place, I need to bring in some excerpt of the book Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. The book was written by Napoleon in 1937 after the Depression. According to the story, he somehow discussed with the devil. At that time, leaders had a very strong opinion about God versus evil. And so the word devil for him at the time may have had a stronger connotation than it has now. See the word devil as how it was used then. So in the book, the devil explains that his part in life is the negative energy that lives in the minds of people who fear him. He occupies one half of every atom of physical matter in every unit of mental and physical energy. He is basically the negative portion of an atom. On the opposite side, there is God. God controls the positive factors and all the natural laws throughout the universe. He is the positive side of the atom. God is the positive forces of the world, which includes love, faith, hope, and optimism. The devil explains that his job is to lure as many people as possible on the negative side by occupying the 
unused space of the human brain. The devil uses fear and other sorts of bribe or motive to subdue to a point where you can no longer think for yourself. And once you are in that zone, the law of compensation takes over. The law of compensation means that you will reap what you sow. That is why it's important to understand that everything you do, everything around you, is all about energy. How you do one thing is how you do everything. And this dictates where you fit between being a drifter and being a non-drifter. There is no in-between. You are one or the other. And the more you let the fear control you, the more you let go of your awareness. You become a puppet and people can start manipulating you into doing things for them. The people who are influencing you are not necessarily non-drifters. You become like attracts likes. So you hang out with the people who, let's say, don't have a healthy supportive habit. Like, let's say, someone who drinks a bit too much. When you hang out long enough with that person, you will eventually and strongly be urged to drink with that person. If you let that person do the thinking for you, you're going to eventually start drinking a bit more each day or each week. And eventually, it can become out of control unless you step out and say, nah, this is not for me. At this point, you start taking charge of your thoughts. And that's when you're shifting from a drifter to a non-drifter. Now, what all this have to do with self-confidence? It has everything to do with self-confidence. When you start abdicating your power to others, there is a part of you that is starting to feel like you're not good enough. If you are not looking inward as to why you don't feel good, you will start looking outwards for something that would make you feel better. First, you look into things to make you happy, like buying a new toy. But that only works for a short period. Now, I'm not saying that buying toys is bad. It depends on the purpose as to why you're buying it. Over time, maybe the toys gets bigger and bigger to a point where you spend more money than you earn. Again, nothing wrong in buying big toys. It's the feeling behind that matters. Let's say you start accumulating debts. And now you're going into fear of how will you pay the bill? Next thing, your mind starts thinking about death. At that point, worrying takes over your thoughts, attracting non-supportive thoughts. You start losing your self-confidence and you start letting others decide for you. As an example, have you ever asked a friend, should I wear this or that? Should I text him or not? Do you think I should go to that event or not? And unconsciously, you will select the right people that will give you the answer you are looking for. If you don't really want to go to that event that is um, so far away, you will then ask a friend who is afraid of flying, let's say. You may say, should I travel this far to go to this event? And you know that that person is going to say, oh no, flying is so dangerous. And that person will help you walk out of your plans. Over time, this feeling of not achieving anything will make you feel worse. You get to a point where you will need others to make you feel better. You will want to hear from others that you're, let's say, beautiful or handsome, that you're smart or that you dress well. According to Napoleon Hill's book, Outwitting the Devil, a drifter is when you start letting others decide for yourself, when you lack a major purpose in life, when you have little to no imagination, 
when you have opinions on everything but accurate knowledge of almost nothing and when you let fear control your life. You see, fear is nothing more than a state of mind. Fear is something that is not happening at the current time. It's just a story you tell yourself and you choose to believe that story. And one of the biggest fear is fear of criticism. We don't want to be judged. Why? It was imposed onto us at a young age. And because we are loving being, we want to be loved. We want to be accepted. If we are judged for a mistake we did, we don't feel good inside. And if we're not good inside, we don't deserve to be loved. It goes in a circle. This judgment pattern is reinforced at school. You know, going to school, if you get good grades, that means you're, you're a good student, you're smart, you studied well. But if you made a mistake, then you suddenly you feel like, oh my God, I'm not good. What's the point? Then over time, you fear hearing it because it hurts inside when someone criticizes you. It makes you feel unloved. So people are afraid of doing things because they think, oh my God, what if I do this and I get laughed at? Or what if I do this and someone does not like it? We paralyze our ability to shine in this world because of fear that is actually not existent. It only exists in your mind. And by the way, being afraid is normal. Our brain is programmed to keep us alive. We just have to become impervious to our fear. Learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Reason it out. Like me, every time I have to drive to LA, my first thought goes, oh my God, what about the traffic? And over time, I just learn to tell my brain, you know what? I will go to this event. Everything will be fine. I will leave early. I will take the slow lane and drive safely. To continue with Napoleon Hill's book, a non-drifter, on the other hand, is someone who has a mind on his own and uses it for all purpose. He's always engaged in doing something definite through some well-organized plans. They may not be necessarily the right plans, but he has a plan, and he goes with it steadily. A sound plan will probably yield better results quicker, but any plan is better than no plan at all. And what it takes above all? is determination. When you are so engaged in your burning desire that you're willing to do whatever it takes at all cost to make it happen and you are willing to say no to the things that are not supporting your mission, you're willing to accept any challenges that come along the way. You are going to see any adversity as a blessing in disguise and you take responsibility for your actions. You don't waste your time on blaming others for the lack of your result. You actually do something about it. The reason why I'm bringing this up is this is, was exactly my predicament. I am a non-drifter. However, my husband was drifting. He started drifting many years ago. It started gradually, taking things easy and not having a purpose in life. Over time, he let me decide on everything. This was a form of protection. He said to himself, if she decides and it's wrong, it will not be my fault. He chose to abdicate power. The result of that was that by the end of 2015, I was doing about 90% of the work in relation to the skincare business. And there was no accident that I was doing 90% of the work. It's because I had definiteness of purpose. I was working on my skin condition. I was the one who had a need, like a deep need for this cream. One day I suggested that he takes a skincare class to refresh his chemistry knowledge. 
I was hoping that after that, he would take over the formulation while I would spend more time in sales and marketing. I wanted him to stop seeing everything as wrong and join me in, learn to work together instead of fighting. Yeah, when I say fighting, I mean it. What took place is that at first, he suggested some ingredient, but they were not designed for skincare. They were industrial grade. And for a short while, I followed his advice because I did not know any better. Now, he is the true polymer chemist. I mean, I am a textile formulator. My background is textile dyeing chemistry. However, I became totally immersed in learning about skincare ingredients and formulation. I took several skincare classes and spoke to many ingredient manufacturers. I was also mixing until midnight. And in the process, I discovered that there were better ingredients for oily skin and better method for mixing. I was also mindful of the cream texture and I was attuned on how women want a cream to feel. And for some reason, all these things came naturally to me. So when I started rejecting my husband's ideas, instead of coming from a place of curiosity and ask me to explain, he took it personally and gradually he stopped being involved. So to please me, he went to the skincare class. That got him turned around. He loved it. He realized he could adjust his polymer chemistry to skincare. The teacher suggested that he takes a graduate degree in skincare. Well, my idea of getting him into joining me backfired. I say this because he didn't go back to school with the right intention. In the past, I had hired a girl to help me in the lab. She just finished a bachelor degree in chemistry, and she could not formulate. She just knew the abstract side of chemistry, not the practical. However, to be positive, I told him to go ahead and follow his dreams. My intuition was right. I needed marketing. I needed to know how we could better promote this brand. He was learning about something like steady-state permeability coefficient of non-ionized compounds in an aqueous solution. I was wondering what does that do on a woman's face and he could not tell me. What I never anticipated was how school pushed him further into drifting. He was always aiming for an A+. And if he didn't get an A+, oh my God. He was using the establishment to bring himself worth. And when he got a B instead of an A, or worse, a B minus, he felt he was a failure. For weeks, he would go and say, I got two questions wrong. I couldn't tell him anything that would make him come around. I'm like, why does it matter? It's not like you're competing with 200 other students for one position at L'Oreal. Why are you so stressed over the grade? But for him, at that point, he was just looking for the establishment to make him feel better. So when your self-worth is reduced to pulp because you don't believe in yourself, especially when that false belief comes from an establishment that you have no control of, what starts happening is that you are now starting to be unhappy. You create negativity everywhere. When you start drifting, it gets worse. So you don't feel good about yourself and then you start being angry at everything. You start blaming others, you criticize, and it creates this funnel. I call it a vortex. You get sucked in into this vortex. It brings you further and further down. Well, I was not a drifter. I could see this happening and I did not want to join him. So I started fighting back. 
I'm like, I'm not joining you where you're going. Wherever you're going is not where I'm going. And me saying no to him, me walking away from him, and me saying, I'm not listening to you tonight. I'm going to this event instead. And yes, at that time, I was working on my own self-worth issues, but I was working on myself, looking at my roots and my belief instead of looking for others to make me feel good. When I started meeting other non-drifters, they taught me things that I didn't see before, giving me a new sense of awareness. It caused him to fear all sorts. At one point, he feared I would leave him, causing more arguments. Over time, I started becoming stronger in my belief, and I stood my ground. He didn't like that. He felt that he had no control over me, and he didn't like what people were teaching me, so he tried to stifle my growth. However, I am the one who has a definiteness of purpose. I am the one who has a need. I am the one who has put a lot of time and effort into this. I was becoming even more driven, and I did not like his negativity. It wore me out. For years, I tried to be very understanding. I tried to explain. I even asked him to join me in one of my events, only to end up saying, I bet you that 95% of the people in this room will not use what she said on stage. And I said, who cares what 95% of the people will do? Focus on you. And I've heard that excuse from others too. To me, it's irrelevant what 95% of the people choose to do or not to do. If a coach says something that aligns with my values and I want to see new results, I will go out of my way to make it happen. I do not focus on excuses. I do the work. How I do one thing is how I do everything with passion and dedication. And it had a huge impact on my growth because it's no longer about what others are not doing. It's about what I choose to do for myself. Saying it is powerful. Living it is extremely powerful. And all that said, I've learned something very important. I cannot change someone else. I could not get my husband to see my point of view, and I couldn't get him out of his vortex of negativity. He put himself there, and he was so sucked in that I could not help him. You know, like the saying goes, you can take a horse to the lake, but you can't make him drink. Well, I couldn't even drag him to the lake. In the end, I was dragging the lake to him, and he was still not taking it. Have you ever tried to move a lake around? It requires a lot of energy, doesn't it? And while I was spending all that energy on him, I got out of focus with my work. I was like a dog chasing its tail. At one point, it was so challenging to focus that I moved my office into a bedroom, a place where I could close the door. I had to lock my computer every time I got out of the room. I could no longer use my wall calendar because everything I wrote was used against me. These were all distractions to get my attention. Very deep down, there was a sabotage pattern. At that point, I had told him I wanted to divorce and he was doing everything so that I would not get in revenue. Because in his mind, he knew that as long as the business doesn't generate enough money for me to take a salary out, I wouldn't be able to leave him. He feared what he would be doing if he lost his little babe, the one that did everything from cooking to cutting trees, all that to save some money. It takes strength, patience, persistence, and understanding to say, no, I am not going where you are 
with as much love as possible. Now, I'm still not out of the wood. He was the majority owner of the company. I had to negotiate a way to become a 100% owner of the company, which I did eventually, and it took nine months. I trade a big portion of the house as an exchange. Bear in mind, I had many options. I could have chosen to close the company since it wasn't generating any money. Then we would have sold the house and split the profit 50-50. I could have let him keep the company and he buys my share plus 50% of the house profit. What I chose instead was to lead with the heart. Regardless of my differences between my husband and me, I will always want the best for him. And in doing it the way we settled, it allowed him and our son to stay in the house with minimal financial setback. You may ask why I would go to such length and buy a business with no cash flow, because I believe in it. I already see it being successful. One coach explained to me that if I drive from California to New York, while I'm still in California, I may not see New York City. However, I know in my mind that when I will arrive in New York, the city will be there. There is huge power behind this unwavering faith and belief. I knew that my husband's negativity came from a scarcity mentality. He feared poverty as what if there is not enough money for tomorrow. This comes from his upbringing. Born after the Second World War, he was raised in England, and for the first six years of his life, he lived with a ration book. No one could buy more than a certain amount of food per week. Everything was rationed. Scarcity was everywhere. As he got older, these old false beliefs were so deeply rooted in that he believed them to be true. So instead of thinking, what could he do to afford something, he would simply by default say, we cannot afford this. And he chose to be a victim of his own story. I met another coach in May 2016, and after asking me several questions, he said to me, you have a brilliant mind. You have all the talent. The only thing that stopped you from succeeding is that your husband occupies 80% of your brain. That was 2016, and I wasn't in revenue. Matter of fact, I'm still not in revenue today. Being at zero income in a society where we value ourselves amongst one another by the amount of money we earn is challenging. So where did that put my heart? When that coach said, the only way I could be in revenue was to let go of my husband. I was like, oh my God, how can I do this? I don't even have an income. And that was the big question I had to answer. So I was going even more frantic. I was hoping that he had it wrong and that I could be in revenue in no time. However, I knew it's not so much about the numbers or the lack of numbers that matters. It's how you feel about them. Well, at the time, I didn't feel great. But one thing for sure, I was avoiding it at all costs to be sucked in into a vortex of negativity. I built walls around my mind so that I could still function. By April 2017, things were getting completely out of hand. My husband was not going to work till about 2 in the afternoon, preferring to stay in the bedroom, lying in bed, playing solitaire. That's what he was doing physically. But what he was really doing is listening in to see who I was talking to, who I was discussing things with. And I know it because when I would finish a call and 
You know, these calls were business-related phone calls. I would hear about it. And it always boiled down to the fear that I was spending money on more coaches. He would say, I'm tired of providing for you. I finished up taking my calls in the garage and closed the door. It was very challenging to carry on a business when you're afraid of what is the next things you need to protect yourself of. You see, I was dancing between wanting to keep peace of mind and also fighting for the silliness of it all. One day I told my husband, you know what? There are many people in the hospital right now who wish they would have one more day to live. And you are here, laying here, doing nothing. Stop wasting your time and start living. But my message didn't register. I realized for as much as I was resisting it, I had to face my greatest challenge of all. I had to move, regardless of how impossible it looks. On May 1st, I looked at my calendar and said, fine, I'm moving on July 7, 2017. And I put a big X on that calendar. I did not know where I was going to go. I did not know how I was going to pay for it. And I did not know how I was going to qualify. I just knew I had to go. I wasn't terrified. I was determined. Instead of going into fear mode, I went into loving mode. Inside my heart, the true reason as to why I was leaving was not for selfish reason. It was because I could see that gradually, the more I was with my husband, the more he he was going down. He could no longer function. He could no longer go to work with peace of mind. Between May and June, he was totally consumed by the move. I felt he was watching me, waiting to see when I will fail. July 7, 2017 came, and I moved. It was bold. It was courageous. Everybody around me was telling me how crazy I am, and I didn't care. I chose to live my life on my own terms. In doing this, I actually experienced the love manifestation. I did not know the how. I just had this big why. To keep my sanity and to release my husband from an obligation he could no longer fulfill having to provide for me. This situation with my husband taught me a very important lesson. I had to accept him for who he was without wanting to change him. I learned that I could only change myself in the environment I was in. I had to find enough strength and courage to let go of the idea that he has to be the only provider. I had to learn to provide for myself. And if you're a guy and you're listening to this right now, let me just say this. If you truly love your wife or your girlfriend, your job is to elevate your woman, not to control her, to love her, to support her emotionally, and to help her grow, not bring her down and stifling her talent. And as long as you keep elevating your woman, you will not have to worry about anything. She will be there for you. I realize as a woman that my role is to guide a man to be the better version of himself by showing pride and respect, to support him in his mission, and to help him in his greatness. That is if he wants to be guided. What if a man and woman would learn to live in harmony with one another and learn to elevate each other? So now we've talked about 
the difference between a drifter and a non-drifter, and how you lose your confidence by abdicating your power. And that's the reason why I'm sharing this here, to inspire you to regain your confidence, to wake you up, to go after your dream. You know what? There is one thing you can never get back, and it's your time. So time is of the essence. One thing I realized is that I could not save my marriage because my husband decided to drift. I am hoping that this message resonates with you and encourage you to start looking inwards so that you can take charge of your own life, that you decide to do something that is aligned with your true values, not what other people expect of you, but what you want of your own life. Be brave. It will take courage to do it because everybody around you will tell you how crazy you are. But it doesn't matter because it's your dream. You are the only one who can tell for sure a hundred percent what is right for you. Love yourself back to life is the only way that you can have the courage to embrace your life and live it to its fullest. My husband made a choice to let go of his ambition. And he let fear set in, permanently. I didn't. I stayed focused on my burning desire. About you. What do you wish for your life? There is one thing for sure. Regardless of what I'm saying here, I know I cannot save you. There is only one person who can save you and it's yourself. All I can do is share my story, hoping that it would help you realize that you always have a choice. It starts with your own burning desire, something that you truly want, that you're willing to fight for, that you're willing to do, regardless of how long it takes. Are you bold enough to be happy? I hear people oftentimes say, I want to help others. How about helping you first? You cannot be a blessing to others until you are a blessing to yourself. I hear people would go to the moon and back for others. Would you go to the moon and back for you? Because you know you deserve it? Because you know you matter? Would you do that for yourself? And if you are stuck and unhappy, just know one thing. The answer is within your reach. And I will address that topic in the next podcast. So stay tuned for more. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. If you have any questions or comments, you can always reach me at this email address, ask at nadiafleury.com. It's spelled A-S-K at N-A-D-I-A-F-L-E-U-R-Y dot com.